Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> um, how is okay? How is your your watching experience? So it's like an hour and forty minute movie, and it took yeah. me like four hours to watch it. Christ, same. <laughs> it's it was it was <laughs> really hard to watch. <laughs> this, like I and like it's. It's striking because I really tremendously enjoy the Fast and the Furious movies. I, like, I even like Tokyo Drift. But there's something just so different about the prospect of watching a movie with no sound. It's Especially, the... like, because these movies, um, they heard that you should show Don't Tell, mm-hmm. and they took... From that, only tell, no show. <laughs> all of all of the relevant plot points are hashed out in dialogue. And like the the thing about it is that like it's weird to watch a movie with so much car involvement and not hear a single car. Yeah, I definitely feel like like the races would have had more visceral impact if they had included sound in the movie. Yeah. Well. Um. Okay. Do we want to? Get started with the episode. Let's do it. <laughs> I just saw the title you gave it. This episode is Zencaster. That's also how I have it saved locally. For the listeners, the production title of this episode is Unsound Theories 33, Too Fast, Too Furry. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Uh, okay, so let's let's start. Hello, and welcome to Unsound Theories. I'm Kat. I'm Kira. And we watch movies with no sound and no subtitles and try to figure out what the hell is going on. Spoiler. Uh, uh, Spoiler on at least three of the cars. Excellent point. Yes, that is true. Too Fast, Too Furious is the first time that Brian O'Connor is driving his signature car in the series, but it's only for that opening scene, because he's, like, throughout the rest of the series, while Paul Walker was alive, Paul Walker of blessed memory, uh, he drives a Nissan Skyline, uh-huh. which is a car you cannot get in the US. Really? Because it is considered too unsafe. <laughs> nice. So, uh, this one, he's driving the 1999, uh, Skyline R34. I think it's the R34 GT. Um, but the point is, he drives that for one scene, and then the cops use their magical car-destroying device. What the fuck was that? (laughs) It was like a- it was like- I, I think what it does is it pumps electricity into the car- into... And fries all of the electronic components, or like overloads them, and the... I don't know. I don't think that the like because okay, it just gonna, kind of punches. I'm going to stop you right there. Car. Hold on, I'm going to stop you right there. You and the writers have something in common <laughs> from that first phrase, which is "I don't think." <laughs> Fair. Uh, <laughs> that explains it all. Yeah. Uh. But that it just they they. Mm. Okay. So, do you want to talk through a quick plot summary of this movie? Um, I can't do that. <laughs> okay. I can tell you some of the overall themes of the movie. Okay. This was fundamentally a movie about a 
budding relationship between two men and the people who attempt to come between it? Uh, yes and no. Okay, so our main character, our main white boy, is uh, Brian O'Connor, played by Paul Walker. Okay. Um, and our deuteragonist is a character named Roman, who shows up in the rest of the franchise except it. So, okay. It's it, it it almost kind of started as an anthology in the first three movies, where um you have in the first one you get the story of Dom Toretto, and then the second one takes place in Miami, and you get to meet Roman, and you get to meet Tej, and the third one takes place in Tokyo, and you get to meet Han, and you get to meet um. Drifty Boy, whose name I can't remember because he's very unimportant to the rest of the franchise. <laughs> um, okay. And then Fast and Furious happens, which is ep- which is uh, the fourth movie. And in the I... fourth movie, they reboot the entire franchise while keeping the first three movies canon. And instead of being like an anthology series... It's now the ongoing story of how cool Dominic Toretto is. <laughs> so they pulled a Star Wars expanded universe. A little bit, yeah. Um, and all of the characters do eventually, in some way, shape, or form, come back. Han is part of Dom's crew. Um, you know, Brian is there. Uh, Tej and Roman become, like, a comic relief duo. Which I'm not super thrilled about, given that they're the only black guys in the crew. Yeah. Um, and then in episode nine, they end up going to space in a car rocket that's built by Drifty Boy from uh, Tokyo Drift. Uh, <laughs> hey, what? <laughs> yeah. Hey. <laughs> hey, hey and it's because they need to defeat John Cena. Hey, cat. What the fuck did you just say? (laughs) They go to space in a car rocket! (laughs) That's not how space does it. It doesn't... You can't! You you can't do that! Oh, you can. And they did. (laughs) (laughs) They had spacesuits and everything. Oh my god. How did they get back? They were picked up by a NASA flight. (laughs) They had to do a completely untrained EVA to get from their car rocket to the NASA rocket to get back to Earth. (laughs) These movies are so stupid and they're so, so Fun. Why couldn't they just go in a NASA rocket in the first place? Um, because they're wanted criminals. But why did they get picked up? Um, because they're wanted criminals. Okay. Okay. Um. Uh, so, yeah, these... Uh, the, the basic gist of these movies is, um, a bunch of crime boys who are good at cars get recruited by, like, Interpol to do police activities because the Interpol police are too incompetent to be good at cars enough to pull off successful missions to defeat the bad guys, partly played by Helen Mirren. Okay, so... So, in this movie... Yeah? We start off with now former cop Brian O'Connor in Miami, starting over after... He was supposed to be a cop? He he was a cop in the first movie, but he ended up falling in love with Dominic Toretto and was like, okay, I need to stop being a cop because the cops have been nothing but shitty, and Dominic Toretto gave me Coronas. He said, you can have any beer you want as long as it's Corona, and I said, I'm in love. I I mean, that, that tracks, yeah. There's also a part in the first movie where uh, Brian says to Dom, I almost had you, man. And Dom says, you, you almost had me? You never had me. You never had your car. 
and then launches into a diatribe about what Brian did wrong, among other things, saying, granny shifting, not double clutching like you should, um, and accusing him of almost busting the welds on his engine by using too much NOS, and then also using the NOS too early and losing the right. It was a whole, it's a whole thing. Anyway, I won't okay, continue so... to geek out about these movies. Is okay, so I assume all of the movies have copious use of NOS. Yes. Um, do they all do the thing where when they hit it, it the whole world goes into hyperspace mode? <laughs> um, so this movie did a lot of experimenting with the use of CG, right? Like, I, I did notice that, yes. And, um, the speed lines from within a stable frame of reference is pretty weird. I don't know that yeah. the rest of the movies have them go into hyperspace when like, they use like, NOS. Everything gets all blurry. And... and there's like a blue shift that happens too. Yeah. I don't I don't think driving 120 miles an hour does that. No, I've... it doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> oh, I also haven't told you about the time in one of the movies they drive through an active minefield. Oh. Um, and the logic is as long as they stay above a certain speed, the activation trigger time for the mine is such that they will be able to outrun the explosion. Uh, and and what is that speed they decide on? 80-something miles an hour. No. No. <laughs> No, it's not. <laughs> uh, so you see why I love these movies because they're I, just so stupid. I, I I understand the appeal. Do wish they had included uh, sound in this one. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, the basic plot summary of this movie is that ex cop. Brian O'Connor moves to Miami to start over um, and is making his money by winning street races in his Nissan Skyline R34. Um, and he does win that first race through skillful driving and an uh, incredible car jump. Yeah. Did, you, did you enjoy that part? Because that... He... Uses the NOS, the uh, Tej played by Ludacris, raises a drawbridge to like a 30 degree angle to turn it into a ramp, uh huh, so that they have to jump their cars to get to the finish line, uh huh. And Brian uses his NOS to jump over the person currently in first place, yep, yep. It was not as good as the jump at the end of the movie. <laughs> I yeah, you know, that's fair. The one um, at the end of the movie almost killed me. I laughed so hard. This is very good. Uh so after the race, he uh gets caught by the police who use their experimental uh EMP but only for car. Yeah. <clears throat> it's like he get his and car it's... gets shot by a um and it's fucking loaded onto, like, vaccine. a fucking, like, bazooka-looking thing for some reason. Yeah, it's like one of those, you know the TB tests where it's like you get poked by the four prongs? Uh, no. Okay, well, if you've ever had to get a tuberculosis test, which, like, you do for certain things, uh, they, there's this testing mechanism where you get poked by this, like, thing with four <clears throat> metal prongs that looks like sort of a bacteriophage almost uh-huh and if you have a reaction to it congratulations you have tuberculosis and if you have no reaction to it congratulations you got four weird holes in your arm <laughs> fair i i don't think i've ever had that happen to me it, it's usually like if you need a particular type of certification or something like that like a lot of if you want to become a teacher you have to get a tb test and everything like that to get your teaching license so it's mostly for, like, getting licenses where you'll have to be around people in, like, 
big groups to, you know, make sure you're not going to pass along something deadly. That makes sense. Okay, so the cops <clears throat> um, bacteriophage his car. Mm-hmm. And they bring him into custody because actually they were specifically looking for him, Mr. one Mr. Brian O'Connor, to serve as an undercover special consultant. Basically, they want him to go undercover within a drug kingpin's inner circle as like a drug runner because he drive car fast. Okay. And try to infiltrate that to lead to the arrest of this drug kingpin. Okay. For um import duty violations, I assume, because this is all done through the US Customs yeah, enforcement. Yeah, it, it, this being a pre nine eleven US Customs enforcement, it's not um it's not ICE that he's working for. Yeah. So or Customs and Border Patrol. So why does where where does where does Roman come in? Because the He needs to assemble a team. The sexual and romantic chemistry between the two leads was palpable. Mm-hmm. Especially okay, so Roman is Brian's friend from childhood. Okay. Who absolutely hates him because Brian got him arrested for car crime. Car crime. Everything in this series is varying degrees of car crime. I suppose that's better than hair crime. That's a little bit better than hair. That's a lot better than hair crime, actually. Yeah, like, it just sort of like sometimes poor... the car crime is like just stealing cars from you know the car manufacturers who probably have all that insured and don't actually lose any money. Yeah, I mean, so like, like in terms of impact on society, car crime is far less of a problem. <sighs> Yeah, I'd say so. Like street racing, not so, not so ideal to have happening around you, especially because it can cause a lot of property damage. Um, I would rather have that than a bad beard, though, just for me and my psyche. Okay, so actually, you know, recently we we had car some car crime happen around here. Okay, where uh, someone drove their car into a closed mall. And used their car to open the gates to a store by crashing into said store, uh-huh. stole a bunch of stuff, and then drove off. Yeah. Again, threw some glass doors into the mall. Okay. I think in terms of types of car crime, I would still rather have that than a bad beard. Yeah, absolutely. No questions. No questions. Not even close. Like, a good beard... I mean, good beards do exist, for sure. They do. They do exist. Now, would you rather have a good beard or a really excellent type of car crime? Um, Like, say, um, I don't know, maybe um, someone gets the remote shutoff codes to every Tesla and locks the Tesla owners out of their cars forever by breaking the cars. Fuck, that would be funny. That would be so, that would be way better than a beard, even if it was a good beard. What if it was a great beard? I don't care. It just it's it's not as funny. That's fair. That's that's very fair. Um so back to the movie, I think. Um so one of the things that I like about this franchise a lot is that in every iteration of this story the cops are all super incompetent and oh, have yeah. to hire a bunch of crime boys to help them stop worse crime. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, pretty, pretty good. Uh, so uh, Brian and Roman are given cars by the police to act as their drug running vehicles or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um. And these are just the ugliest looking pieces of shit I've ever seen. I did notice that. Was there a reason they couldn't just use their own cars? Uh, well, they bricked Brian's car. Okay. And, and they couldn't just like, uh, fix it? Apparently not. Uh, and Roman was under house arrest, quotes around house arrest. <laughs> um, Roman lived in, for his house arrest, was living in a trailer. And participating in a demolition derby, which I think the derby was still considered part of his domicile, which is why he I, was allowed to participate in it. I don't think but that's never how that leave works. the grounds of yeah. I um, but all the 
the important thing is their ugly piece of shit cars have uh tracking on them so that the customs and border patrol people can keep in keep them monitored and know where they are at all times and all that fun stuff right uh so they go to meet with this drug kingpin for a like interview basically uh-huh um and part of the interview is retrieve some MacGuffin. If you're back first or second with the MacGuffin, then you're hired. Something like that. Uh, I, I don't know. That, that This seemed... happens in almost every Fast and Furious movie. So there was a... I remember that part, because what stuck out to me is... Forcing um, two truck drivers to commit vehicular manslaughter? Not that. that's what stuck out to me. The... I felt really bad for those truck drivers who just had to kill a man I because mean, they were forced to by other people. Uh, I mean, they weren't on screen anymore, so they kind of stopped existing. So I don't think they were, like, they were around to regret it or anything like that. Yeah, I guess I just, I know that, like, you know, there is a very particular type of psychological trauma that comes with driving truck when, you know, someone maybe cuts you off or crashes in the back of your trailer and you have done absolutely nothing wrong. Yeah, for sure. But someone's still dead. So I feel bad for those truck drivers, even if they did stop existing the second they left the screen. Yeah, fair. What, okay, what stuck out to me is the very beginning of that sequence where Mm -hmm. a bunch of dudes scramble to hand, what's her name, money? Or... I think they hand her their driver's licenses. Why? Um, so that uh, the drug kingpin can have information on them, such as their full name and address, to keep them under his thumb. Okay. And also to encourage them to evade the police, because if you get pulled over without a license, you're in trouble. I, yeah. Okay. That's that's the logic in these movies. I th- I think that makes <clears throat> sense for the way that these movies work. Um and they you can get a new driver's license for like $30. Yep. Okay. But that's not how the logic in these movies work. Okay, okay. Uh so the, so what the thing that stood out to me in in that situation was the body language of would appear to be a bunch of, like, 40-something-year-old men scrambling mm-hmm. to hand a woman a thing and then running off together like it was, like, a like a high school movie. It's very weird. It was... I... <laughs> it, it made me feel a certain way. And that way was, like, a little bit secondhand embarrassment. Oh, yeah, no, these movies are deeply embarrassing. (laughs) Like, that's kind of another one of the reasons why you watch them, is because they are, like, these are are adult men, usually. Yeah. Uh, Although Gal Gadot is also there sometimes. Um, But predominantly adult men who are just way too serious about their cars. Yeah, they're very serious. I... There was a lot about this movie that I struggled with, like struggled to follow. First of all, um, there were a lot of uh, a lot of situations where the face blindness was very real, and I had no idea who people were or why they were doing anything. Like, there's a point where they do like a drag race against some dudes. Yeah, the two dudes with the muscle cars. Who were they? Uh, they were some of their fellow competitors from that work for the drug kingpin race. Okay. And those two ended up also being, uh, goons for the drug kingpin. Okay. And who were the dudes that were, were were that, was that the same dudes that got ejection seated later? Yes. Okay. Yes, it was. Okay. I thought, okay. Interesting. That's why. Why would I? <laughs> so, so okay. So there's another point that I want to br- bring up, which is that this 
drug kingpin in the very next scene where they're at his house with the big old plate of empanadas. Uh-huh. Um, so first of all, that scene made me really want an empanada, and I still haven't had an empanada. Okay, but there's an like, empanada place just down the street from us, so I might go there afterwards. I don't know if this was, um, like, I would love one, but the ones in that scene did not look good to me. They were very yellow. They looked, like, old and cold. Like, probably, like, yeah, they just, like, picked them off of the craft services table yesterday, <laughs> and we're like, well, if we spray them down with resin, <laughs> they'll look good tomorrow. <laughs> They did not look good. They I just, didn't. It, I yeah, that whole like. But I still want an empanada. Whatever was just like this looks like you would have a better breakfast in like a hotel lobby. The other thing I noticed about that scene is that when the drug dealer guy cuts his cigar, mm-hmm. which I assume is a Cuban, um, it fucking crumbles. Yeah, it kind of exploded. That's such a dry cigar that it's not worth saving. That's why there's was... no way for you to save that cigar. Just give up. Maybe and that's buy why he a new was one. sucking it so much. You're he, still not going to save it that way. He, he got it very wet in his mouth before he did that. I I watched the same thing <laughs> you did. I saw the homoerotic tension there, and if your cigar explodes like that when you <laughs> cut it. You've done something wrong in how you stored it. I will... I mean, are you supposed to store it in a little metal cylinder? Um, only until you can get it to a humidor. Okay. And, like, you can make a pretty cheap humidor by sticking a shot glass full of water into a box full of cigars. I don't... Yeah, I mean, I don't think this man would even need to do something cheap. No, he wouldn't. He's, like, a fucking drug kingpin. He should have the money to buy himself a nice humidor, but instead, little metal tube Cuban cigar that comes out really dry and bad. I, <laughs> I've i never touched a cigar, or I don't think I've even seen one in real life, so yeah, I guess you, you know far more than me. I don't even know that much about cigars, but I know enough. To know that that was bad and wrong. <laughs> Badong. Badong. So, uh, it is at this point that I was like, oh, you know what'll make this movie-going experience a lot better? Uh-huh. Listening to the soundtrack of this movie while I watched the movie. Okay. How was it? It didn't make it better. Mm. Um, it was a lot of early 2000s rap. Oh, okay. And... While I respect the art form, at one point in the soundtrack, they did very blatantly use the R slur. Hate to see and that. Yeah, it's. I get that people just said that in the early 2000s. Yeah. But this is a movie soundtrack, you know? This isn't just like. I, I did write in my notes, actually. Before I even heard that in the soundtrack, um, where did I write this? Uh, God, this movie is so early 2000s, it's practically calling me a slur. <laughs> it was deeply early 2000s. Yes. I, 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 at all times, fully expected Dane Cook to walk into frame. <laughs> I I did absolutely love one bit of cinematography after the the drag race against the muscle car boys when they were driving Mm -hmm. away and the muscle car boys were just sort of standing posing watching the bleep. It was so good and the poses were absurd. (laughs) I I, I loved Um, that. Uh, my actual favorite part of this movie is when they're in that nightclub, which I have dubbed Club Crab Claw, because they had these delightful chairs oh, in yes. this club. I noticed those chairs as that well. That were, like, um, white leather and then, like, orange suede. Uh-huh. 
and it looked like really weird crab claws that they were sitting on. And I wish that I could have those chairs because I would like to sit on a crab claw chair. It, it did not look good for sitting on. No, but they were so tall. <laughs> And pointy. Ten foot tall (laughs) chairs. Um, Paul, so Paul Walker's character, we'll we'll call him BOC, the sequel to AOC, um, is in the franchise canonically bisexual. Um, because that's what I understood based on this watch. Very blatant with you. I don't think gay people exist in this universe. (laughs) Ugh, that's disappointing. Yes. (laughs) I'm trying to find a picture of these chairs somewhere, because I need the listeners to be able to see it without having to watch Too Fast, Too Furious. I mean, I can just roll back in in the movie and screenshot it. That, that, yeah, I guess I could also just screenshot it from Crave. Um, yeah. I was just hoping someone else had taken... A screenshot. Did I? Might have. Um, and did I send it to Danger Square? It's entirely possible that I did. It's a lot of Erica sending lightsaber pictures. Erica built the lightsaber yesterday. What? At uh, Disney. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah. Uh, the answer is no. I did not send the picture despite taking a screenshot. Great news. Um, I've got okay. you covered right now. Thank you. I have just screenshotted it. Um, okay, so, uh, (laughs) the best part of this movie for me, oh my god, those things are beautiful. (laughs) Look at them. Holy fuck. (laughs) Jeez. Um, yeah. So, uh, what was the, what was your favorite part that you were? Yes, so the uh, there's a bunch of other bullshit that happens um before this, but the end of the movie is a delightful car chase sort of a sequence where um our two protagonists pull into a garage as they're being chased by dozens upon dozens of cops. Yeah, they pull a, a Grand Theft Auto. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the garage doors open, and somewhere north of 200 cars... Yes. <laughs> ...come flooding out of this warehouse. But first, um, they... But first, first yes, they, they, they eject some small pickup trucks. There's a fleet of Small pickup trucks like that some... crash into the cop cars uh, 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 to clear, you, you to say clear an fleet. exit path. It was like five Toyota Tacomas. It was. It was. It was at least ten. <laughs> and it, um, yeah. and then, and then, hundreds upon hundreds of cars come rolling out of this garage, including mm. ones being driven by uh the. Three other racers from the race at the beginning of the movie. You know, they come back as a little heroic cameo. It's very fun. It's very funny. And the cops start chasing after uh, a BOC and Roman's cars. But surprise, surprise, BOC and Roman aren't driving their original cars. Oh. And they have switched over to driving the muscle cars that they won in that tag team drag race. Oh, they won the cars. Yeah, they were racing for pinks. Okay. Um, which is why they drove off with those guys' cars. I just thought the guys were... I, I didn't notice that they drove off with the guys' cars. I just thought the guys were standing there posing and no, watching. they drove them. off with the guys' cars because they won the pink slips. Okay, okay, that, that makes more sense. And then they... But they also just had those guys in the cars with them later? Yes, because to this point, they're still undercover. Yeah. They've got boatloads of money that they need to deliver to the drug kingpin, which is going to be part of their process of actually catching and arresting said drug kingpin. Okay. And for some reason, BOC decides not to eject his evil boy 
and instead brings his evil boy to the drug kingpin. I think possibly because he finds out that the drop zone is not going to be the plane like they think it is, but another, but actually a luxury yacht. So he needs to get directed to the luxury yacht. Okay. Or something like that. I don't know. It's not clearly communicated through the mm. visual th language of the movie. No, the, the visual language of the movie was... Um, lobster claw chairs. Lobster claw chairs and, and stepping on pedals cars. And mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. Star Wars hyperspace NOS. Yes. Now, since we did get a lot of shots of them stepping on the gas and their feet on the pedals... Does this count as a shoegaze movie? I'm quitting the podcast. That's okay. I can hire. Um, I know like a bunch of autistic trans girls. <laughs> we could replace both of us. That's probably true. I don't think the show would be the same or as good, but we could replace both of us. <laughs> <clears throat> I forget what I was talking about. Oh, oh, yes. Um, so they get to this boat, and everyone pulls guns on each other, as is tradition. Yeah. The boat starts to leave with um, a woman who I believe is also an undercover agent. I think still... I think she is. Held hostage by the drug kingpin. So BOC, being the white knight that he is, drives his car real good, and launches the car on top of the yacht through the magic of vehicle science. <laughs> vehicle science, yes. That's exactly <laughs> And they stop the bad guy by crashing a car into his boat. Yes. Um, yeah, that's, that is what happens. And the movie ends with us finding out that Roman kept a bunch of the money mm -hmm. that they had quote-unquote returned to customs after having taken that money from the drug kingpin. Yeah, I did notice that. I I, I fully expected that even before they revealed yeah, it. Yeah, no, it was like, okay, how are, how is this going to play out with them managing to steal a bunch of money after their sentences have been or, like, after the charges have been dropped against them and sentences commuted for helping the police, you know? And it's like, okay, yeah, that, that, they're still crime boys at heart. And I think that's kind of the thesis of this whole franchise is crime boys will want to do good, but they're still crime boys in the end. And that's why you love them. Yeah, gotta love a crime boy. They're crime boys who want to do good, but also understand that the law is stupid. Yes. They're not going to go out of their way to hurt anyone, you know? They're going to work with you to stop drug dealers and such, but they'll also steal luxury cars and lots of money and airplanes and things sometimes. It's, it's, a, it's not a crime it's if a you weird steal franchise. money from the federal government. Correct. Um, unless it's on your taxes, then it's considered tax fraud. Mm, true. And the federal government will come after you for they that. They will care about that, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that it was, a, it was overall a pretty fun movie. Mm -hmm. But I think <clears throat> the description that we have given does not fully articulate how much both of us struggled to actually watch it... this movie. <laughs> it was hard. I... <laughs> This is maybe the hardest movie we've ever watched. Um, that was Ad Astra for me. Ad Astra took me an entire day to watch. <laughs> I was able to mostly blast through that one. This one, like, I started well, it Well, that's because you'd morning. already watched it in Unsound Theories mode once before. Had I? Yeah, wasn't Ad Astra specifically the movie that inspired you to create the concept for Unsound Theories? No, Kira had watched the the, you watched the one Ad Astra. The, the one that I had watched in Unsound Theories mode before was Life Force. I thought the the inspiring action for this podcast was you having watched a movie on a plane. Oh yeah, I saw like and that was I thought Ad Astra. Yeah, I saw like maybe ten minutes of it. 
you you had just primed yourself for what to yeah, expect. Yeah, I saw, I saw like I you. saw like ten minutes of it on someone else's screen, a couple of rows ahead of me. <laughs> Which, um, incidentally, is how JPC watched a movie on his flight home from SF <laughs> Sketchfest. It's, which they talked about this week on Hey Riddle Riddle. It's the only way to watch movies, honestly. It's the ideal experience. Uh, for okay, so for me, the the worst mo- airplane movie watching experience I've ever had was um due to the unfortunate circumstance of me having headphones, I did have to watch Dragon Ball Evolution mm. because mm. that was the only thing the plane was showing on a flight from madrid to new york i'm so sorry it was it was rough <clears throat> okay hello listeners it's cat here with this week's mid-roll announcements we are shockingly close to the last few episodes of the same coin over on the chicks with dice feed if you haven't listened before or you stopped listening at some point now's the perfect time to catch up Things are heating up as the story of the Orem comes full circle in an explosive and dramatic finish that pays off three years of podcasting. After that, be sure to tune in for the next series on the Chicks with Dice feed, Disaster Lesbian's Guide to the Apocalypse, a supernatural jaunt through apocalypses, cryptids, and secret societies, inspired by how much I hated the television show Supernatural, despite watching all 15 seasons of it. If you'd like to interact with Kira or me on social media, you can follow me on on Tumblr at zafticat.tumblr.com and Kira on her Tumblr, sapphire-mess.tumblr.com. If you'd like to support us, there are a few ways you can do that. First, you can tell someone about the show. We thrive on word of mouth, and our goofy brand of weird is the perfect thing to recommend to your friends, your polycule, your found family, your biological family, or your kismesis. You could also be our favorite people in the world and leave a review for the show on the podcatcher of your choice. We're fans of good pods for their really neat shareability features, but whatever you prefer works for us. If you do leave a review, let us know via Tumblr message and you'll get a shout out on the show. Thirdly, we'd be so grateful if you were to support us on Patreon. We make this show because we love it, not because of the money, but a little support from you goes a really long way for us. And it's the only way this show makes any money. We don't see any money from that Wetter Kelp sponsorship please consider that support. No integer dollar amount is too small. That's all for the mid-roll. I'll let past me and Kira get back to... Crab Claw Chairs. I still want those chairs. Someone send me a link for Crab Claw Chairs. That would be rad. Thank you. Bye. Um, do we want to uh, find out what this movie was actually about? Let's, yeah, let's do it. Too Fast, Too Furious is a 2003 action film directed by John Singleton from a screenplay by Michael Brandt and Derek Haas based on a story by Brandt, Haas, and Gary Scott Thompson. It's the sequel to The Fast and the Furious, parentheses 2001, mm-hmm. and is the second installment in the Fast and Furious franchise. Uh, plot summary. Ex-LAPD officer turned fugitive Brian O'Connor makes a living participating in illegal street races organized by his mechanic friend Tej Parker in Miami. After winning a race against drivers including Suki, first mention of her but sure, <laughs> uh, the police show up and arrest Brian. He's given a deal by his former boss FBI agent Bilkins and U.S. Customs agent Markham to go undercover and bring down Argentinian drug lord Carter Verone in exchange for clearing his criminal record. Brian agrees on the condition that he choose his partner. Brian heads home to Barstow, California, where he enlists the help of Roman Pierce, his childhood friend who had served jail time and is under parole. Roman agrees, but only for the same deal as Brian. In Miami, Agent Monica Fuentes, undercover with Verone for a year, assists them into his organization. After acquiring confiscated vehicles and being hired by Verone as his drivers, the duo returns to a custom-slash-FBI hideout where Roman confronts Markham over his interference with the mission. Brian informs Bilkins and Markham that Verone plans to smuggle the money onto his private jet and fly off. To evade their GPS traces, Brian and Roman challenge a pair of muscle car drivers they raced earlier for pink slips. Despite engine and power output handicaps, Brian and Roman manage to win the race and the other two cars. Roman confronts Brian about his attraction to Monica, 
and the constant threat of Varone's men, but they patch up their Wait, differences. So I think this is upsetting to Roman because Roman wants to bone down with Brian. Probably. Like they may not explicitly like say Club. it, but it's there. It's front it's, and center, it's, it's there. You can't spell subtext without butt sex. <laughs> True. Yeah. <clears throat> you okay you're okay. You're you're right. You're right. You're right. That's the, the thing is you're right. Yeah, I know. Okay. Please continue. At a nightclub, Brian and Roman witness Verona torturing Miami Police Department Detective Whitworth into giving his men a window of opportunity to make their getaway. The next morning, Monica warns them that they will be killed once the drop is made. Despite this, Markham refuses to call off the job, claiming it's their one chance to catch Veroni. On the day of the mission, Brian and Roman begin transporting duffel bags of Veroni's money with two of Veroni's men, Enrique and Roberto, riding along with them. Before the 15-minute window is set, Whitworth, the detective in charge, decides to call the police to move in for the arrest, resulting in a high-speed chase across the city. The duo leads the police to a warehouse where a, quote, scramble by dozens of street racers organized by Tej disorients the police. Following the scramble, the police manage to pull over the wanted cars only to find out they were driven by Tej and Suki. Oh. As Brian approaches the destination in a Yanko Camaro, Enrique tells him to make a detour away from the airfield to the Tarpon Point Marina exit. Meanwhile, Roman gets rid of Roberto by using an improvised ejector seat in his Dodge Challenger, powered by nitrous oxide. That was improvised? How? How? I believe the action was not improvised, but the me- the mechanism of the ejector seat right. was improvised by Tej. So, so it was previously It was planned. intentionally an ejector seat. It's just that the mechanics of the ejector seat were modified from random parts. Do they? I Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I understand. Um, at the airfield, customs agents have Veroni's plane and convoy surrounded, only to discover they've been duped into a decoy maneuver. While Veroni is at the boatyard, miles away, Veroni re- reveals he knew Monica was undercover and gave her the wrong destination and plans to use her as leverage. When Brian arrives at the marina, Enrique prepares to kill him. Roman appears and helps incapacitate Enrique. Verona escapes aboard his private yacht, but Brian and Roman drive the Yanko Camaro off a ramp, crashing on top of it. The duo apprehend Verona and save Monica. As part of the deal, Markham clears Brian and Roman's criminal record, and in return, Roman turns over the second, via- the second half of Verona's cash. The two agree to stay in Miami, and Brian suggests opening garage. Funded by a cut of Verona's cash that he and Roman had kept for themselves. I mean, they, End of movie. they're starting a life together. I think it's beautiful. I agree. Um, would you like to know that what awards this movie won? Yes. Yes, I would. Um, it won two Teen Choice Awards for movie chemistry between Paul Walker and Tyrese Gibson. I'll allow it. Mm-hmm. They had good they chemistry. Did. They I really liked. did. Teen Choice Awards were correct. Yeah. Um, that's about all I have on this movie. Um, would you like to read us some uh, <clears throat> reviews? I, I have some reviews, yes. Um, some real quick ones to start off with. Uh, Richard A. Hankins gave it five stars, titled the review, Great Follow-Up. And the review reads, Too Fast, Too Furious is a great movie because it was in high definition and everyone should watch and own it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I have another review from Goofy. <laughs> Go. <laughs> I will Gosh. I will note do the voice because it's relevant I can't uh that this review was posted December 13th 2014 It reads My son ordered for his dad for Christmas the tape was in great condition Were they still making VCRs in 2014? I do not believe 2014 you could still purchase videotape. Was this movie ever released on VHS? It cannot um, have been. No, I believe it was released on VHS. What the fuck? My... I know for a fact that my brother had a double feature of this and the first movie on DVD that he got for his birthday. And uh, the plastic remains on those movies to this day. 
<laughs> we never even opened it. Uh, fair, fair. Um, <clears throat> Chris A. Cruzy gives this five stars and titles their review. Sorry, can you spell that surname? K-R-U-S-E-Y. Okay. Um, the review is titled, Cole Kowser, uh, Cole Hauser hates the paparazzi. And it reads, This one shows just what exactly an EMP weapon can do to a vehicle's electronics, or any electronics for that matter. That's the whole review. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Ken88 gives this four star, five stars. <clears throat> five stars. It's important to note. And titles the review Funny, Hot Chicks, and Fast Car, What's Not to Like. And it reads Paul Walker and Tyrese are perfect for each other. They are a dynamic duo. Eva Mendez is hot and feisty, and I like that. The story is very simple. It's all about cars and chicks. If you enjoy some jokes and some actual car racing, then buy this movie. I give it a solid 7 out of 10. Yeah, I mean, that's that's about what you're going to find from this movie. Like, some of these reviews are deeply apt. <laughs> uh, yeah, <clears throat> Brian Wilson gives it 5 stars and titles the review, I had to write a wrong. Um, <clears throat> and it reads... Wait, sorry, is this from Brian Wilson? Brian Wilson. From the Beach Boys? Uh, very possibly. <laughs> okay, we'll pretend this is a Beach Boys review. Um... And it reads, <clears throat> So I was telling one of my daughters about seeing the recent rele recently released Fast 9, and she mentioned that she had never seen any of the entries in the Fast and Furious oeuvre. Where did I fail as a parent, as a father, I asked myself, and then set about rectifying the problem. This mm -hmm. was one of those efforts. Unfortunately, I discovered two things during the viewing of this and other movies. One. The theory of general fast and furiosity holds that at any given time, any Fast and Furious movie is being shown somewhere on the television, either on cable or a streaming service. I found this to be false. My fellow scientists and I will recalibrate our data and investigate further. Two, you can lead a 20-something daughter to Toretto, but you can't make her watch. Despite the... Okay. I just want to point out that this definitely cannot be Brian Wilson because his two daughters, who did start Wilson Phillips, um, are much older than their twenties. <laughs> okay, the 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 timeline doesn't work out. Fair enough. <clears throat> Despite the high octane action, insane stunts, and amazing amount of cheese, my daughter simply wasn't entertained. Maybe if I introduce the drinking game element. My fellow scientists and I will recalibrate our data and investigate further. All right. Mm -hmm. I look forward to his science. Um, <clears throat> when was this review posted? The review was posted July 19th, 2021. Ah, okay. So there might still be a chance for us to get an update on his scientific method. Yeah. Maybe if we watch Tokyo Drift, we'll find it, out. Yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's not do it. I have a four-star review from M. McGinnis, and I will note that based on this person's profile picture, they do appear to be a 50 to 60-something-year-old woman, which is perhaps relevant. They titled the review, Enjoyed This One, and it reads, The driving was awesome, there was a good storyline, and it was wonderfully free of the hardline cursing heard so much now in movies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um... That's wonderfully free of the hardline cursing, but boy, how did you see a lot of tits? You you did. There there were tits. Um, <sighs> Craig Losey gives it one star and titles the review "Benchmark of American Cinema," and it reads: Tyrese Gibson is to acting what chewing on a Duracell battery is to hot cuisine. That's mean. <laughs> That's really mean. He's he's a fine actor. <clears throat> Um, there's another guy who goes, goes by the name Distant Voyager, and I want you, to, I'm going to read a single paragraph from, uh, this review that he wrote, and I want you to estimate how much time this man spends on 4chan. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. Uh, the answer is too much. <laughs> well, I mean, any amount of time is too much, but... <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Whatever went wrong with this really went wrong. What really disgusts me in this movie, as well as the first one, is that it totally reduces the woman down to just mere objects. The girls in this one are far, far worse than those from the first one. I don't mean to sound like I'm a shallow, superficial punk, but they are totally hideous and sickening to look at. Blah! I in no way am implying that sexuality is evil. Quite the contrary. Sexuality is beautiful, but it makes me sick to see how they portray girls as mere objects in movies like this. At least 95% of casual girls I see in my neighborhood look far more attractive than a lot of the characters in this movie. I might be taking heat for bashing them, but I totally stand by my verdict. When it comes to a good female character in a movie, I'd rather take class and intelligence any day over mere bare skin. None of the female characters looked attractive at all. That one character, I forget her name, looks more like an alien from outer space. She's hideous. I don't mean to sound like a superficial person, but holy mother of god, they are just repulsive to a maximum degree. So give me an estimate. I don't know, dude. <laughs> uh, let's, let's say that this guy probably uh, spends about four hours a day at work and another six hours at home. Yeah. And probably uses based and pilled mm. unironically. <sighs> it- <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, not that that man probably commits hair crimes is is all i'll say i have one last review okay (laughs) is this is this This, the one you told me was the greatest movie review of all time (laughs) and it was posted anonymously they dropped their art they didn't need credit for it they left thank you amazon customer you're a hero they give this movie one star. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. It's titled Paul Walker is the man. <clears throat> okay, I'm just going to I'm going to try my best to get through this. Do you want to just send me the review and then I will read it? I, I, I got this. I got this. Okay. <laughs> 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 this movie starts out with some pimp stuff. Paul Walker is a true pimp. I think he is about the worst actor ever to be born on Earth. Without Big, Big Vinny, all these pauses, by the way, are just uh, ellipses. Without Big Vinny, it is a pretty sad movie. Maybe if Vinny was in it, it, would, it could be a really great movie. See, what really happens is that aliens take over Paul Walker's body and some really wicked things happen. I will now give you a few examples, like a bomb blows up in the best car ever, the Caddy. It's like crazy, and this other guy named Tyress. I don't really know about this guy, but he is not the bomb. He needs to stick to singing. I really never watched this movie because I was half-wasted and then totally wasted in the first five minutes of the movie. I drank this like a big keg of beer on Saturday and then smoked like a mofo and could not even open my eyes at Blockbuster. It was crazy I ate this foot-long hot dog last weekend. I thought I would tell you all that because I know you all love hot dogs. The movie that gets five stars is Finding Nemo. It is about a pissed off fish that kills these guys who were fishing in this pond, and this fish out of nowhere comes and eats these guys in the Middle Earth, like in The Lord of the Rings, or maybe The Ring about some Chinese people who watch this movie and die. Maybe if The Lord of the Rings had Paul Walker, it would make it horrible, just like the bad movie Fast and Whatever 2. Go see something that really rocks like the School of Hard Rock. Just go to the movie store and buy anything except this horrible movie. Rock on, Johnny Knoxville, you were great in Jack something. You a crazy guy, and you know what I really want to see, Elf, I heard it's great. Talk to you later, the movie guy. I... Um... Just kind of sounds like a girl blogger, TV. This is art. 
That's just a blog post <laughs> from a Tumblr blog. Like, all of that fit within what I understand to be the scope of what Tumblr would find amusing. This, so, it was in 2003 that this was posted. Ah, so that explains the existence of the movie store. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good lord, what a what a movie. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else you want to talk about? Um, no, no. Okay. Oh god. Um, we're still sponsored by Wetterkelp. Go to wetterkelp.com <laughs> and uh enter code gourd for a 30-day free trial of sea vegetables. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You sure didn't. Bye. Bye. Unsound Theories is a production of So Says Media. You can follow us on Twitter at Unsound Theories or follow Kat and Kira at ZaftiCat, Z-A-F-T-I-K-A-T, and at Sapphire underscore Mess, respectively. The best way to support the work we do is to tell a friend and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Good Pods. If you'd like to support our work monetarily to help us keep the lights on, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash sosismedia. There you'll gain access to behind-the-scenes content, Patreon-exclusive episodes, and so much more. The music used in this episode is Dance on All the Cell Phones by Chris Postel. You can find this and Chris's other work at soundslikeanearful.com. Until next time, stay wizard.